Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Da 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 da
divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity. You are now listening live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience to the divine prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author and advisor, Elaguno Loye, Hoodoo Obeya Bokor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hoodoo world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and my ever-living reality. And it is crucial to the very foundation of my inner standing, my teaching, my walk, my works, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I... The Divine Prince makes sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother, Father, Earth. And, of course, I specialize in doing battle in difficult and block situations of every type and endeavor, but it is my personal place of power and understanding, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is. I say, all is truly and indeed a blessing. I say, today is Friday, December 7, 2018, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum, universally, from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince, Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central, Black Hawk Voodoo, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this spiritualist Hoodoo Obeya life path and journey, passing down the great Obeya stick along with the knowledge of the healing, life-giving herbs roots, plants, ritual, spirits, and minerals. I'm humbled to join you, meet you here in this virtual space of squared circle of gods and goddesses here at high noon. You have such a standard time for the power lunch. Who do revolutionary New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes here on Blog Talk Radio, blogtalkradio.com blog, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, forward slash, the hyphen, divine hyphen prince. My live listening and call-in number is area code 347-215-8967, 347-215-8967. When you are ready with your question, comment, or request, please do press the number one on your telephone keypad. I will be more than happy to unmute mic and bring you into the conversation. Also be mindful that my website where I can be reached utilizing various means virtually 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, operating in 360 degrees of well, 
documented revelation and manifestation is www.houseofthedivineprince.com. And, of course, there's a link there to almost everywhere that I can be found online, but Hoodoo Central is houseofthedivineprince.com. Also, please do visit me and Denise Augustine and Historic Treme at www.oursacredstories. Mother, Father, Creator God, I greet the new day. I greet the four directions that create the world. I greet the ancestors upon which whose soldiers we now stand and have our being. I am because my creators are all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite. So from this place, this sacred space, let's talk today some more about slave religion. At the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, African religious beliefs and practices were numerous and varied in addition to a wide variety of polytheistic religions, a significant portion of the continent had for centuries fallen under Islamic influence. Despite this diversity, there were some common threads across cultural groups. For instance, West African society, the largest source of American slaves, shared a belief in a supreme creator, a chief deity among lesser gods, to whom they prayed and made sacrifice. Through laws and customs honoring the gods, the ancestors of one's people and the elderly, West Africans sought a harmonious balance between the natural and spiritual world. Further, they made music and dance vital components to their worship and practice. <clears throat> Enslaved men and women kept the rights rituals, and cosmologies of Africa alive in America through stories, healing arts, song, and other forms of coded cultural expression, creating a spiritual space apart from the white European world. Africans and African descendants working in the early modern Atlantic commercial system were exposed to the world of European Christianity. As early as the 15th century, when Portuguese missionaries came to the coast of Africa, some enslaved Africans, therefore, brought Christian beliefs with them when they were thrust into slavery. Others converted in America. And during the 17th century, blacks in the Dutch New Netherlands and Spanish Florida baptized their children and were married by the church. And in part, this participation in the dominant European religion reflected and helped to bring about a colonial society in which blacks were more fully integrated and enjoyed greater rights than larger generations of slaves would. However, slaves also saw conversion to Christianity as a road to freedom. Early years of settlement, for instance, Fugitive slaves from South Carolina headed for Florida, where the Spanish crown promised them freedom as a reward for their conversion. Slaveholders in the British North American colonies 
became increasingly fearful that Christianization of slaves would lead to demands for emancipation. And in 1667, Virginia passed a law declaring that conversion did not change the status of a person from slave to free. Other colonies passed similar laws during the 17th and early 18th centuries. And during the early 18th century, Anglican missionaries attempting to bring Christianity to slaves in the southern colonies often found themselves butting up against not only uncooperative masters, but also resistant slaves, an unquestionable obstacle to the acceptance of Christianity among slaves was their desire to continue to adhere as much as possible to the religious beliefs and rituals of their African ancestors. Missionaries working in the South were especially displeased with slave retention of African practice, such as polygamy and what they called idolatrous dancing. In fact, even blacks who embraced Christianity in America did not completely abandon old world religion. Instead, they engaged in syncretism, blending Christian influences with traditional African rites and beliefs. Symbols and objects such as crosses were conflated with charms carried by Africans to ward off evil spirits. Christ was interpreted as a healer similar to the priest of Africa and in the New World fusions of African spirituality and Christianity led to distinct new practices among slave populations, including voodoo in New Orleans, voodoo with the U in Haiti, and, and of course, Spanish Louisiana. Although African religious influences were also important among northern blacks, exposure to old world religions was more intense in the South where the density of the black population was greater. And, of course, we have that extra uh, note in history that emphasizes the, the legacy that is Triangle Square. And from that condition of not being humanized, not being fed uh, on a Sunday because we weren't working, we were allowed an opportunity to create and recreate sacred space. Uh, as Colin Yastamam says in the Congo Square song, um, make a circle out of the square and indeed rebirth not only the voodoos, the loa, the orisha, the deities of our lineage, Fon, Akan, Eve, Ikbu, Yoruba, but also to generate great new forces of revolution and activism would be born in the voodoo that became ours here in black America. And as late as 1800, most slaves in the U.S. had not been converted to Christianity. The Haitian Revolution that many of you emphasize happened in 1790, 1791, I believe. But as late as 1800, most slaves in the U.S. had not been converted to Christianity. 
In the years that followed, however, widespread Protestantism, evangelicalism, emphasizing individual freedom and direct communion with God, brought about the first large-scale conversion of enslaved men and women. It was from a place of, of understanding that they understood individual freedom, direct communication with the spirit is akin to voodoo. At first, itinerant ministers captivating large audiences at revivals and camp meetings across the North and South during the middle part of the century reach only a small percentage of the slave population with their calls for Christianity. Larger numbers of black men and women were converted during the resurgence and intensification of revivalism during the second, what is called the second great awakening of the late 18th and 19th centuries. At that time, Baptist and Methodist ministers appealed to the slave and free black populations preaching a plain-styled message of hope and redemption while also catering to manners of worship that African men and women carried with them to America, including spirit possession, calls and response, singing, the, the ring shout, shouting and dancing. So whereas an earlier generation of evangelical preachers had opposed slavery in the South during the early 19th century. Protestant clergymen began to defend the institution, invoking a Christian hierarchy in which slaves were bound to obey their masters. For many slaveholders, this outlook not only made evangelical Christianity more palatable, but also provided a strong argument for converting slaves and establishing biracial churches and even so, with much of the religious life of the slave community existing as an invisible institution, creating space, sacred space, first within and then where you are, beyond the purview of whites or formal churches, white control over African-American religious practices and spiritual beliefs was limited. Slave preachers might emphasize the need for obedience to the master while whites were present, but among other slaves, they were reformulated their teachings, emphasizing themes of suffering and redemption. Slaves sang spirituals filled with the lyrics about salvation and references to biblical figures like Moses, who led his people to freedom. On occasion, these songs function even more explicitly as expressions of resistance, encoding messages about secret gatherings or carrying directions for escape. While some planters became convinced of Christianity as a type of social control, others welcomed ministers to the slave quarter and built plantation chapels out of a genuine Christian impulse. And regardless of motive, however, slaveholders remained mindful of the political subservientness of religion among slaves. In the 1820s and 1830s, two of the most significant slave rebellions in American history were plotted by Denmark Vesey and Nat Turner, two men driven by religious fire. In 1829, David Walker's inflammatory text, 
which I had to write a paper on in college, by the way, and appealed to the colorized citizens of the world, not only condemned Christians who supported slavery, but also used Christianity as a way to validate slave revolt. In South Carolina, Virginia, and throughout the South, these and other events resulted in regulations on black meetings and black preaching without white supervision. Biracial churches also limited the rights while fear of slave insurrection led to prohibitions on black churches meeting openly in many parts of the South. The black church movement flourished in the North. As members of the church, blacks were ostensibly the brothers and sisters of whites, equal in the eyes of God. This sentiment was instrumental in helping blacks to gain the right to be ordained as Baptist and Methodist ministers, but it did not prevent discriminatory practice within the church, including segregated seating. In Philadelphia, blacks established St. Thomas Episcopal Church in 1794 as the culminating response to this type of discrimination. Black churches in the North continued to grow into the 19th century, providing for much more than the spiritual needs of the black community. They aided in the adjustment of new black residents, acted as mediators in the personal lives of blacks, and played a vital role in the anti-slave activities, including the protection of fugitive slaves. Black ministers like Philadelphia's Richard Allen and Opsalon Jones and Boston's Thomas Paul were among the strongest leaders in the black community. And during the antebellum period and after the Civil War, black churches, not just in the North, but throughout the nation, offered African Americans refuge from oppression and focused on the spiritual, secular, and political concerns of the black community. Following emancipation, the church continued to exist at the center of black community life. With freedom, African Americans rejected the second-class status they had been offered by white, cold, religious folk and withdrew in large numbers from biracial congregations. Aided by the Freedmen's Bureau, freedmen and freedwomen pooled their resources to build greater numbers of independent black churches, symbols of African-American demands for self-determination. And, of course, within the context of this, was born not only the presence of the black, so-called black spiritualist churches, but also a greater uh, visibility of, of black congregants coming together to revive and, and sort of put a face on traditional African-based religious practice. By the eve of the Civil War, Christianity had pervaded the slave community. Not all slaves were Christian, nor were they all, um, nor were all those who accepted Christianity's members of a church. But the doctrines, the symbols, and the vision of life preached by Christianity was familiar to most. The religion of the slaves was both visible and invisible, formally organized and spontaneously adapted 
regular Sunday worship in the local church was paralleled by illicit or at least informal prayer meetings on weeknights in the slave cabin. Preachers licensed by the church and hired by the master were supplemented by slave preachers licensed only by spirit. Texts from the Bible, which most slaves could not read, were cated by verses from spirituals. Slaves forbidden by masses to attend church, or in some cases even to pray, risked flogging and being whipped to attend secret gatherings to worship God. And his own experience of the invisible institution was recalled by um, his own experience of the invisible institution was recalled by a former slave named Walsh Wilson. And Walsh Wilson said, when the niggas go around singing, steal away to Jesus, that meant there going to be a religious meeting that night. The masters don't like them religious meetings, so us naturally slips off at night down to the bottoms of somewhere. Sometimes we sing and pray all night. And in this singing and praying all night, or this mask of singing and praying all night, the seeds of revolution were being stroked, but also the the seeds and the roots of voodoo and traditional African-based religious practices were being further cemented now in the new world. And we do have more than just conjecture. We have documents. There is a, a project uh, that took place uh, in the Carolinas uh, well, I, I want to say it began in the Carolinas among the, the Gullah Geechee Coast, if you will, and, and then through that process of archaeology and study and research and history, um, they, they came as far north as, as Maryland and then, of course, as far south as Florida and finding archaeological proofs of our adherence to more indigenous practice and tradition, if not hoodoo, voodoo, obia, root work directly. There is a cache of white artifacts, white artifacts from a Slayton House cache that symbolize the underworld. Frederick Lamp, a curator of African art at the Baltimore Museum of Art, examines similar caches from Charles Carroll House also a historic Annapolis location. He says that their positions in northeast corners of these properties and under hearth suggest a consistent use of objects. And again, these white objects are described in, in this particular archaeological research as white objects because they're all white in color. He notes that white stones were used in shrines in West Africa to venerate ancestors who were thought to protect the community. The artifacts from Carroll and Slayton houses may have been similar offerings. Five caches of artifacts found in a house in the historic district of Annapolis, Maryland, providing evidence of the secret religious life 
of enslaved African Americans. Discovered in Slayton House, built in the 1770s, 1770s, and now owned by the historic Annapolis Foundation. The cachet include pierced coins, broken glass, white buttons, black feet, common pins, a brass ring, and a piece of bone. Study the excavation reports of 30 sites in Maryland and Virginia where slaves lived, says Mark Leon, a professor of anthropology at the University of Maryland at College Park. At about half of these sites, caches of artifacts have been found in the northeast corners of workrooms under hearths or in root cellars, suggesting a pattern of burying ritual objects. That information led Leon to predict while similar caches might be found, where similar caches might be found in Slayton House. And, of course, subsequent excavations uncovered three caches in workrooms and two beneath a hearth. We now know definitively that slaves practiced religious rituals as Leon. But just as important, we know where to go and look for the proof. Gladys Marie Fry, a professor of English and folklore at the University of Maryland at College Park has studied slaves' autobiographies and life histories from the 18th and 19th century. She agrees that the objects reflect concerns for safety, protection from the master or the overseer, healing or secret doctoring, making tea, salve, and amulets to treat injury and disease, and divination could have been the intended purpose of the cached objects. The practice of burying ritual items had died out by the beginning of the 20th century, um, she suggests. So there is so much more to be explored, to be looked at, to be uncovered, as it relates to who we are. I am going to go to the phone line, area code 216. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Uh, Yes, hello. My name is Patricia, and I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was just, I just uh, typed in and went into the blog talk radio uh, program. Um, my question is, and my concerns are, I have two years ago, I found out about a past life, karmic, toxic relationship with a man here. And um, long story short. Found out, uh, I'm sorry, you found out how? <laughs> well, um, he's a jazz musician. Um, and I didn't have a lot of contact with him before. Went to his concert, um, and we were talking. I'm facing him, and my hand was being pulled up, like it was being pulled up, and our fingers touched. It was like a charge that went off in me. And obviously it must have happened to him. And the musicians just stood there, you know, their mouths open, and, you know, cause, and even I was surprised. But anyway, uh, through listening calling and talking to other 
mediums or tarot healers getting brief readings, I discovered that this person has some type of, he's either gotten his voodoo skills or something using that for his selfish purposes. Anyway, he's always just been pulling on my energy. Um, and I'm doing, have done my best to protect myself, always talking to me telepathically. Um, oh, you know, suddenly, you know, oh, he always wanted to talk to me, but never did in person. And basically, you know, his intentions were, you know, to just have sex with me, use me, because he's a manipulator and user. Uh, He is married, uh, though I guess it's a loveless marriage. And anyway, uh, lied about, because when he's pulling me to his concerts, or was pulling me, and I was weaker then, because I was dealing with so much other distractions, you know, being harassed and sexually harassed and at the, the same college he teaches at, wasn't my teacher, but I was taking other classes. So my I wasn't as grounded as I should have been. Um, but yeah, these brief, you know, uh, psychic readings I've gotten from other ones uh, through listening to Blog Talk Radio, that's how I discovered this. And my call is concerning how can I protect myself because he's whatever skills he has. And that's why I'm suspecting he may use, you know, voodoo, black magic for his, you know, selfish purposes. Well, first, my first response is, beloved, and, and, and again, thank you so much for calling in to participate in the show. And and my understanding is that you were calling to participate in the show. It was not clear to me uh, until this point that you were calling for a personal reading. And that is a part of my response to some of the things that you have said. Um, I asked very very limited questions while you were speaking. Pay attention more to spirit than your wording. And And my question was, how do you know this? At some point you said, you know, some brief readings and tarot and, of course, blog talk radio, and it is impossible for an expert to give any kind of divination on blog talk radio. It's just not possible. Blog talk radio is an entertainment discussion talk platform. We're talking about divination. You're talking about sacred space sacred mathematics, sacred science. So there has to be a a separation there. Um, Many of you know that I also do acting for a living, acting, culture, performance, but there is a clear distinction when I'm performing, when I'm acting, when I'm speaking, when I'm lecturing, when I'm teaching, when I'm having, you know, a mundane conversation versus when I'm operating in spirit. And, and that could be possession, that could be in the midst of a ritual, and most certainly that includes divination. So just from what you said, just in, in, in the briefness of our conversation, I have not heard evidence of any kind of real divination being done to determine what you're working with. So that would be the first thing. So after you were to have contacted me, you know, let's say in any other form of, of communication with me, I would have suggested you send me an email. I would have asked you the very same question 
you had this experience based on what information? My, my next question would have been, well, how many years have you been operating in ATR? How many years have you been a reader? How many years have you been doing um, ritualistic work? So from what foundation do you truth on what some of these random people have said to you in the guise of doing, you know, a blog talk radio show or, or, or even in the guise of, of providing a reading? The next thing I would always suggest is that you immediately go to your ancestors. We, we have our beginning and our ending with our ancestors. For, for it is their shoulders that we stand upon, literally and figuratively. And, and it doesn't require our complete um, knowledge, if you will, of how that works, because it's in your DNA. Science has proven ancestral memory exists transferred generationally through your DNA. So, so even when we have no knowledge of how to to work with the ancestor or to acknowledge them, um, they're still present in, in all life choices, decisions, and most certainly as it relates to destiny. And and so, just in my response to your question. The reading that will be required to gain the answers that you're talking about is at least an hour and a half, at least an hour and a half. I don't know any tarot readers, particularly on on, on Block Talk Radio or any other kind of person who presumes to be providing a, a legitimate spiritual service being able to do that in the middle of a block talk radio show. So you have to have an authentic representative of divination to do your work, whether that be me or, or any other authentic expert in another path and or tradition. Everybody who says they do readings is not a qualified Ianifa, it's not a qualified Babalao, it's not a qualified Mambo, it's not a qualified Honan. And unfortunately, in many cases, especially if they're operating and suggesting to you that they're doing a legitimate reading of that level of severity while they're on Block Talk Radio, all kind of red flags go up for me around that. Um, so I would I would start there, and and that will give you a much more clear understanding of not only what's happening, homework, what I call homework. We have all kinds of names for them in Yoruba and Eve and, and Fon and Akan, so I'm not going to confuse you with that. Uh, in my house, we call it homework. We speak those other languages, but when we're speaking clean, clear English, we, we call it homework. And so without homework, you haven't received a real reading. There are no authentic forms of divination in ATR that do not require homework. And sometimes that's a sacrifice, an offering, some kind of ritualistic work or cleansing or bath that needs to be performed. So I, I beg you <laughs> to do your homework. There aren't many who can truly provide you with a paper trail of demonstration 
of them operating in any capacity of spirit, not just ATR, you know, voodoo and hoodoo and obia, but, but even tarot readers, it takes so much more, beloved, than, you know, waking up one day and deciding you have an attraction to this and buying a, 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 a pack of, of tarot cards um, to then just come on to Block Talk Radio and start giving out readings, and particularly a reading of the gravity of what you are suggesting is at work here. So I strongly suggest that you get back with me off off air where we can be a little bit more professional and a little bit more personal about what you're really saying here. I, I would never expose your personal business live on air like that. There's a lot in, in your story. There's a lot in your experience that needs to be looked at. And the FA, the system of divination that we use in Voodoo, will clarify that for you. Exactly what you're dealing with, exactly what's at work here. And, and of course, it will always reflect back to us inner condition, which is also always a part of the homework. Even if it's a basic cleansing, what are we what are we cleansing? Are we cleansing that person, that place, that thing? Are we cleansing you and your connection to that thing? There's so many layers that are um, negated in in today's pop cultural interest in in readings and subsequent uh, spirit work. Uh, one of my most popular YouTube videos, beloved, um, if you will, go to my YouTube dot com forward slash Voodoo Thai, V, like Victor, O-O-D-O-O-T-Y-E, on YouTube. And um, I have uh, several videos, actually, that are pertinent to what you're asking me right now. But the one particularly that I'm most interested in you um, looking at is the one that speaks about what they don't tell you about readings and divination. And then if you feel to do so (laughs) after that, um, I want you to look at um, the video that follows that as my most popular videos, and that is what is legitimate in hoodoo, voodoo, and obeya. Because if it's not result-oriented, it's not real not authentic. And so if you have a reading done, there should be a result. A reading is not just, you know, we're going to look at something and see what the probabilities are. In voodoo, readings come with a result. They come with homework. They come with a remedy. They come with some form of prescription, if you will. On occasion, they will come with proverbs and psalms, but they absolutely should have a result. So anyone listening to me who has a problem, an issue, a block, a complication, uh, something that you're you're looking into, and particularly those things that speak to the most immediate. You know, I don't mean tell me what my kid's going to be in the future. I'm I'm talking about these result-oriented requests. And and if these readers are not just giving you more than to your question in terms of reading, but are not giving you a fix, a remedy, then you're not getting the real article. So I invite you to 
send me a, a communication at Divine Prince at House of the Divine Prince dot com. Divine D I V I N E Prince at House of the Divine Prince dot com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.